This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. The power for victory that you need is not found in you, it's only found in Jesus. If there's anything you're gonna get today, get that thought, get that phrase, that the power to change things in your life, the power for the victory that you need in your life over whatever situation that you find yourself in, whatever scenario is plaguing your thoughts and your minds, whatever sin that's overwhelming you, you don't have the strength, Jesus does. Oftentimes as believers, we fall into thinking that we have to behave a certain way to earn God's love. We see that we're living in a way that doesn't entirely line up with God's goodness, so we try really hard to be a better person. But today, Pastor Cody shows us that this is not the solution. In fact, we'll never be able to live up to God's righteousness in our sinful flesh. But the beauty is that God gives us the power to battle our sin. Jesus' sacrifice saved you for eternity, and it empowered you to walk in holiness now. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 7 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to be at today, finishing up Romans chapter 7 and what sort of turned into a little bit of a mini-series. This is part 4 of, you know, these last couple of chapters, looking at chapter 6 and chapter 7, and the idea is is how to win your war with sin. That's really what Romans 6 and 7 are looking at. So we're going to be looking at Romans 7, 13 through 25. I was recently having some trouble with my kitchen sink. You ever had that happen? You have some stuff going on with your sink and you got to figure that stuff out. And so, you know, the sprayer wasn't really working very well. And and so I was able to figure out how to take that apart and replace it. And I had to buy a different part for it. And and it took a while and I got it figured out, got it fixed, got the replacement sprayer all put in. That worked all right for a while. But then, you know, right where the, the water comes out of the what is that part? The kitchen nozzle, whatever. It's the aerator, I think is what it's called at the very end. So that was, it had some junk in there. So I took that apart, cleaned that out. Well, then, you know, that worked for a while. And then the the sprayer started losing all of its power again. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. I just need to replace this whole faucet. That's what I need to do. And so, you know, I, I go into the, to replace the faucet and I do all the research. I watch a YouTube video because, you know, that's, that's what you do when you don't know what you're doing. And so I'm watching this video and it's like, man, this is going to take me like 20 minutes. This is amazing. I just need to unscrew this one and I need to put this one in and screw that one in and we're going to be solid. Well, like you're probably guessing, as almost every plumbing thing goes, I had issue upon issue upon issue, and I had to break part of stuff to get it to even come out. And after many hours, I think it ended up being four or five hours and a few trips to Lowe's, I was able to finally get the new faucet put in. And man, it works beautifully. The water pressure is actually too high now. So it's it's a totally different problem that we have going on. But you know, the, the thing of it is, is that sometimes you're trying to figure out the problem and you're putting all of your effort and energy into to these, you know, small issues. And if you put all of your effort into the wrong solutions, they might seem to, to work or take an effect for a time, but actually they're just prolonging the real issue. They're, they're, the real issue is, it's not the sprayer, man. You got to replace the whole 
nozzle. And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at together today in Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 25. It's this, here's our big idea. The power for victory that you need is not found in you. It's only found in Jesus. If there's anything you're going to get today, get that thought, get that phrase, that the power to change things in your life, the power for the victory that you need in your life over whatever situation that you find yourself in, whatever scenario is plaguing your thoughts and your minds, whatever sin that's overwhelming you, you don't have the strength. Jesus does. And you've got to get it from him. So let's read Romans 7, 13 through 25, and then we're going to go back through and break it down together. Now, I just want to, before we get into this section, I just want to warn you, I guess, it's going to be really wordy, and you're probably going to go, what? Because of the way that it's worded. But we're going to do our best to read through it, and we'll go back through and break it down together. Romans 7, 13 says this, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So today, as we look at Romans 7, 13 through 25, we're going to break it down into two parts, right? The first part is going to be 13 through 19, our war fought within. And then the second part is verses 20 through 25, our deliverance from death. Now, in the first half of chapter 7, Paul lays out for us how the law is holy, how the law is just, how the law is good. And the reason it is, is because it's a reflection of God's character. That It just shows us who God is. It's, it's reflecting the perfection of God. There's nothing wrong with the law. And when we get to that point of, of understanding, the law is good, then what we naturally do, what people naturally do, we come to this realization and we start to look inwardly. We start to think, well, how can I do that law in order to please God? How can I perform and get on God's good side? How do I get on the dean's list that Jesus has? How do I make sure that I'm in a position where he likes me because I've done all the things I've checked all the boxes. And so we search and we scrape and we look for this hidden key. What's the key to success? What's the secret to success? And we think whatever it is, I'll make it happen. And the thing is that this, the, this mountain that we think we have to climb or this prayer that we have to recite or these verses we have to be memorized or this, this price that maybe has to be paid, we think, what is it? I'll do it. And by doing that, I'll fix 
me. You see, the temptation is for us to believe that our flesh can do what God has called us to do. Romans 6, 6 says it like this earlier in in our study together. It says this, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. You you see, your your flesh was never supposed to be able to do this. Your, Your sinful self, that's what that word flesh means in scripture. There's two different terms for flesh. One can mean your flesh and bones, your body. But the other part of it is that evil thing inside you that's bent on doing what's wrong. That's the sinful self. That's the sinful nature. You can't accomplish God's law by your flesh. That's not what the Lord is intending for you at all. No, Romans 6 tells us it needs to die. That's all it needs to do. It's good for dying. That's all that it's good to do. And the more deeply we look into ourselves to find the solution, the more we find the problem, the more we find the failure. Yourself, your flesh is the problem. It's not the solution. So we can't look to ourselves to try to, to fix ourselves. That's, that's what the world sells. And it's an absolute, absolute foolish pursuit. You see, we need Jesus to step in. And so let's look at this first part together. Our war fought within verses 13 through 19. Look back at verse 13. It says this, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So here what we have in verse 13 at the beginning, there is another rhetorical question. There have been a series of these through chapter six and seven. These rhetorical questions are just, they're asked in a way that demands a certain answer. And each time the answer is, of course not, absolutely not, certainly not. Or another way to say it is, are you kidding me? Uh, that, it's just the, the, the question provokes that exact response. You see, what it is, is this rhetorical question in verse 13 is actually a continuation of the thought from verses 1 through 12. You see, the, the thought in verses 1 through 12 is the law of God, whether we're talking about the law of God given at Mount Sinai, or we're talking about the law of creation, or the law of conscience, no matter what it is, it's the law of God given to us. It does three things. Number one, it reveals our sinful nature. Number two, it provokes our sinful nature. And number three, it empowers our sinful nature. That's what we looked at last week. And if you want more on that, listen to last week's message, the first part of chapter seven. But here, what we have in verse 13 is a fourth thing that's added to the list. Not only does the the law reveal, provoke, and empower our sinful nature, but in verse 13, we see that it actually magnifies our sinful nature as well. That's what the law does. So the natural question then comes, doesn't that make the law bad? I mean, if, it's, if this is what it does, if, if it's connection to my sinful nature is that it reveals, it provokes, it empowers and magnifies my sinful nature, isn't that a bad thing? And the answer is yes, but that doesn't mean the law is the thing that's the issue. God's law isn't the issue. The bad thing is my sinful nature. You see, the law doesn't produce death in me because it's bad. The law produces death in me because I'm bad. I'm wrong. There's something broken within me. Now, there are two phrases in verse 13 that show us this contrast. Notice there in verse 13, it says, but that sin might appear sin. Do you see that? Appear sin. And then at the end of verse 13, it says, become exceedingly sinful. So this idea of appear sin, it's this contrast to say, the law shows the perfection and glory and holiness and majesty of God. 
but it simultaneously contrasts that with you and me, that we're not that. Whatever it says about God, it shows me simultaneously that I'm not that. I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. I'm not just. I'm not righteous the way that God is. And that no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to climb that mountain. That's what the law displays. But it's not just a, a contrast because, you know, within contrast, we could say, well, it's, you know, it's, it's more like gray. It's not quite all the way black. It's not quite all the way white. It's, it's sort of in the middle. It's that gray in between. Well, that's where this second contrasting thought is given to us at the end of verse 13. Notice there it says, become exceedingly sinful exceedingly sinful. This is what the law does. It shows you that your sin isn't just a little bit. It's actually way worse than you're willing to admit. Your brokenness is way worse than you were ever willing to go into. You see, it's, it's the same kind of a contrast as, you know, a moonless night at midnight and how black it is in the middle of the night when you, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And that contrasted with the full sun at noon that's the kind of contrast. We're not talking about some sort of gradient in between. We're talking about completely the opposite. And so this is something that the law does. And what this does is it brings us to the next thing we need to know in order to win our war with sin. That there are this number of things in chapter six and seven that we're looking at are things that we need to know to win our war with sin. And we're brought to number seven and that's found in verse 14. It says this, for we know, see it there? For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. You see, the seventh thing that you need to know in order to win your war with sin is that the law is spiritual and therefore cannot be kept by carnal means. Now, what, what's carnal all about? Well, the word carnal, and maybe you, when you think of that personally, whenever I think of the word carnal, I just think carne asada. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And I'm just, like, meat and tacos. That's what, I, that's what I think. And so, and that's actually a pretty good image for you if, you, if, the, if that helps you for carnal, because it means of the flesh. It means fleshly. All right, so not your skin and bones flesh, but your inner nature, that sinful person inside. You see, according to the fleshly nature or characterized by the flesh is the idea of carnal. You see, the, the idea of the carnal man or the, the fleshly man is that they can and should do what's right, but they don't. They still choose what's wrong. They're still pursuing what they know is wrong. You see, the spiritual law cannot keep control over a carnal or fleshly man because carnality keeps me, look at verse 14, sold under sin. That's what carnality does. That's what living according to the flesh does. And so when I approach God's law and I think I'll just do it, I'll pull myself up, I'll try really hard, I'll hold on really tight, I'm gonna make my way through, I know what it is and I'm just gonna make it happen. When I do that, I'm trying to fulfill a spiritual law by carnal means and I'm failing at it because the spiritual law cannot be fulfilled by carnal means. My carnality keeps me sold under sin, which is violating the law. And so Paul now turns to himself in verses 15 and 16 to use his own experience and his own wrestling with carnality to display this internal struggle, this war within. And I think that every Christian can identify with this. Every Christian can identify with exactly what Paul is talking about. They, if, you've been, if you've been saved more than a day, you know exactly what this struggle is like. Verse 15, look at what he says there. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, 
that I, don't, I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. What a frustrating thing to be in. You see, it's so frustrating that Paul even says, I don't even understand this. I don't get myself. I don't, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me what's even happening. This is where the struggle begins. That I know what I should do, and so I try to make it happen, and when I fail, it confuses me. You had that experience? You ever known exactly what you should do? You ever known what what was right? You ever known what you wanted to pursue? You ever known that, you know, this sin that's in my life, this thing that's evil that's in my life, I don't want to do this. I hate that. And I know I need to pursue the things of God. And yet, and yet you find yourself falling into that pit. You find yourself falling into that trap. You find yourself not doing the stuff you should and doing the stuff that you really don't want to do. You see, I think the reason that this is, difficult for us to understand and grasp is because every skill you've ever learned in life, you've learned by, you know, somebody explaining it to you, you understand what it is, and then you accomplish it. You know, whether it's learning how to make a pancake or learning how to drive a nail or, you know, maybe learning how to build an AR-15, no matter what it is, there's a skill involved Somebody had to explain it to you. You understood it and you applied it and you were able to accomplish it. That's just the way that things work. That's how our world works. And so we take that idea and we start applying it to God's word. We start applying it to God's way of living and we get frustrated because it doesn't work. It's not that I just need to know more. It's not that I just need to be instructed better. It's not that I just need to try harder. It's not like baseball, you know, where you're learning how to hit a ball and someone throws the ball and you swing and you miss. You're like, oh gosh, throw another one. I know I can hit it. That's not the way that God's, God's word and God's law and holiness works. It's not that you just need to take another swing and you'll get it. The more we swing, the more we strike out. You see, holiness and righteousness are not skills you learn. They are gifts that are given to you by God. That's what holiness and righteousness are. Warren Wiersbe says it like this in his commentary, Be Right. The law cannot transform the old nature. It can only reveal how sinful the old nature is. The believer who tries to live under law will only activate the old nature. He will not eradicate it. I love the way he says that. That trying to live under the law is going to activate your sinful nature. It's going to arouse, produce more sinfulness. It's not going to eradicate your sinful nature. You see, Doing what you know to be wrong proves some things. Look at verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. You see, when you do what you know not to do, doing what is wrong, it proves, number one, that the law is right. It shows that the law is absolutely correct. And secondly, it shows that you're bad. It shows that you're wrong. When you do what you know is wrong, it shows, what is, it shows that there is a standard of good and it shows that you are not performing it. So what do we do? Well, typically, we try harder. Isn't that what we do? I, I, just, I just need to try again. I just, need to, I just need to knuckle down and get this thing done. And so we spend a lot of effort, a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of money trying to clean the flesh, trying to dress it up and trying to cover its stench with perfumes. But here's the reality. It's still a rotten corpse. You can put paint on it, you can put it in nice clothes, you can spray perfume on it, but it's still dead. It's still dead. Second Peter 2.22 says it like this. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. You ever had a dog do that? 
super gross. A dog returns to its own vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Why do they do this? Like, why does a dog go eat that gross stuff? Because it's a dog. Because that's what dogs do. The only way you're going to get the dog not to do that is to make it no longer a dog. That's how you're going to do that. No matter, you can try really hard. Don't eat that. That's gross. Get that out of your mouth. It's going to go back. It's going to try to eat the gross, nasty stuff. You can take a pig. You can pull it out of the mud. You can wash it up. You can put makeup on it. You can give it glamour shots, put it in a dress. You know what it's going to do? Go back to the mud because that's what pigs do. You, you cannot dress up a pig and think that you changed what it is. And that's exactly what we try to do with our flesh, isn't it? We try to dress it up. We try to make it look nice. We try to make sure other people don't realize how broken and uh, shamefully stinky I really am on the inside. But the truth is, it's still there. You see, covering it up isn't going to help. It's not going to help anything. You got to be transformed. You've got to be transformed the way that death is made into life, the way that darkness is made into light. And that is only possible through the blood of Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. Not enough trying, not enough reading enough books, not going to enough counselors, not getting enough stuff, you know, from YouTube, not listening to enough politics. Please don't do that. You're just going to be really, really frustrated because you're not changing. You're not transforming. You're just dressing up the corpse. Look at verse 17. I love this. But now. Wow, there's, there's a transition. Okay, let's, hopefully there's, there's some better news. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Isn't that a frustrating thought? I know what I should do, but I, how to do, I don't know how to do it. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that. I practice. You see, this phrase, but now, what this is, is it's not transitioning in the thought. It's a continuation of the same thought, isn't it? But now is talking about timing. It's talking about a, a phrase of timing. Some theologians like to argue about this. You know, you read theologians on this section and they're like, they, they, they just like to debate over, was Paul talking about when he was a Christian at this time or was he talking about when he was not a Christian at this time? And uh, I think that, you know, that is very easily dismissed, you know, but now is very, very clear. It's a different time. It's, it's today. It's not like yesterday that Paul's talking about when he's a Christian, when he's saved. You see, I'll, I'll just use my own life as an example. I got saved when I was 17. When I was a non-believer, do you know how much I cared about trying to please God with my life? Zero. That's the right answer. Zero. I cared about pleasing me. I wasn't trying to please God with my life. I was trying to please me. And so this whole wrestling over, I want to fulfill God's law. I know what's right. I want to do what's good. I want to pursue what's holy. No, that's not the mindset or the wrestling of a non-believer. That's the wrestling of a non-believer. What non-believers do is they take what they do that's wrong and they try to justify it and make it right. Internally, they still know it's wrong, but they're not trying to change themselves. They're trying to change everything out there to make what they want right. That's what, that's what we do as people. You see, Paul is wrestling with his flesh as a believer. Now he says in verse 18, nothing good dwells in my flesh. Again, not his body, his evil, sinful nature. There's nothing good in it. You see, some people say they can't believe in a God who would allow bad things to happen to good people. But here's the, here's the problem with that. The entire argument is based on a false premise. There are no good people. 
There's no such thing as good people. Not apart from Jesus, there's not. Now there's people who try to be good. They try to be nice. They try to be kind or whatever. But biblically speaking, there is either holy like Jesus or utterly evil. There's no good in the middle. There is no such thing. And so when we come at this and we say, how could a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? The entire argument's based on a false premise. There are no good people. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Within this book, the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans about personal things such as greeting people he knows, but also touches on some deep theological concepts that can throw people at times. Romans is a foundational book when it comes to what you believe as a Christian. What you can't deny as you read through it is that there's a clear message of God's salvation. We as human beings are separated from God because of sin. But because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, He redeems all of that and brings us into relationship with Him. Do you have such a relationship with God? We certainly hope so. If you're uncertain what that means, don't hesitate to get in touch to clear up some of the things you may not understand about salvation. You can reach us by going to redemptioncalvary.org. Under the Connect tab, you'll find what we believe the Bible says about salvation. If you'd like to hear someone's voice over the phone, we can do that too. Here's our number, 720-466-5358. Once again, that's 720-466-5358. One more way to get in touch with us is over email. Our email address is info at redemptioncalvary.org. Thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe to our podcast of Redemption Radio.